0: We meet today in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, looking at verse 1 to verse 21. And this is the last experiment that Solomon tries. He tries this time. He has made experiments in everything under the sun to see if any of it would bring satisfaction and enjoyment to him. Remember that he tried science. The study of the natural laws of the universe, which made some contribution, but they too did not satisfy him. Then he went into the study of philosophy and psychology. They didn't satisfy him either. He went the limit on the pleasure and materialism. He tried fatalism, which is such a popular philosophy of life today. He tried egoism or egotism, living for self. Then he tried religion. No religion can satisfy, because only Christ can satisfy the heart. So he too experienced the same conclusion that said it's vanity. Wealth was another thing which Solomon tried. He was the wealthiest man in the world, but he found that wealth did not bring satisfaction in and of itself. Why? Because the God who gives satisfaction, who gives appetite, who gives sleep, who gives contentment, was not in the picture. So what does he do? He will try his fresh approach, but really this makes his last experiment. So we see him now trying the last experiment. It is the experiment of morality. He resorts to morality. Now, we would call this person the one who does good. A do-gooder, so to say. The one who leans on the works of what they have done. They look at people and meet people and see the social needs. They take care of the poor. They give their money to charity. They do good. Morality. You would not want to offend anyone he thought that way he would find satisfaction. I would say that this is the place to which the majority of the people in developed and developing nations are moving. You see, we hear whenever people are gathering together, in fact, you find that whenever they are Uh, Meetings where people are simply coming for social programs, social development, meeting the needs of the poor. They come in hundreds and thousands of them. Very few gather in such numbers to hear God's word. So both developed nations and developing nations are moving in that direction to do good. And of course, some use them for political maneuvering as they put forward their good works. They are also advancing their political agendas and so forth. So Solomon tried the experiment of morality. The road of morality which we are moving towards is the road that is the middle of the road on the freeways of life. It's never a definite road. It's moving by the middle of the road. This group can be described as babbits doing business in the big cities under a neon sign, living out in suburbia in a sedate, secluded, exclusive neighborhood and taking it easy. In fact, of the many social programs that happens in the world, from the donor agencies and the like, a lot of the money is actually spent in the meetings and the consultations that people engage themselves in. But also a lot is spent on keeping the people who are going to be doing that work. Very little goes to the actual beneficiaries or the intended beneficiaries. So the people who do good, in a way, they have easy life. They have everything well for them. They have built houses for themselves. They are well educated. They are not worrying about inflation or anything. Their children go to the best schools. They move with the best crowds. They go to the best church if they do, the richest church in the neighborhood, the one with the tallest steeple, the loudest chimes, and the most educated preacher who knows everything that man can possibly know, except that preacher might even not know the Bible. Of course, if he did know and preach the Bible, he would lose his job, or he would lose his crowd, if you like. This is the kind of do-good society Solomon now tends to. He tends to a philosophy that says, let us just do good and not condemn sin, and not seek the transformation of life, and not seek a relationship with God. Let us just do good. So it's seeking satisfaction in morality, the good life. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death, than the day of one's birth. Well, that is true, by the way. There is nothing wrong with that statement. A good name is better than precious ointment. It is gratifying to a man to have people say that he is a wonderful neighbor and that they have never had an argument with him, that they won't discuss religion or politics or even won't get involved in any kind of bad situation. The person just smiles and goes right down the middle of the road, never veering to the right or to the left. He is a respectable person, recognized in the community. He joins organizations of the town, and he does business with all kinds of people. And some day at his funeral, the preacher will say all kinds of good things about him to try to push him into heaven. Solomon says, a good reputation, and a long eulogy at your funeral are what we should strive for down here. But my friend, that will not satisfy the heart. In my own country, and even in the whole continent of Africa, there are many people who go to church in order to have people who will actually come and uh, console and comfort the family, to have people who will come and give a eulogy as it were to usher them into heaven when they have died. People join the church, people join religion for what they get from the people. In fact, some have gone out of the church. If Their families met a little tragedy, and the preacher never visited them, or even the members in the neighborhood never came along to support them. Is this the reason for having a relationship with God, my friend? Is this the reason for going to church? There ought to be a better reason than this. Don't turn the church into a social club. Don't turn the church into a simply social institution where people gather. Yes, it happens in society. But there is an important aspect that needs to be realized. Going to church must be coming out of a relationship with the living God, whom we so love so much that we can even say, though the world may turn against me, yet I still love him, yet I'll still serve him, yet I'll still worship him. You see, Solomon pursued this route of trying to do good. And even working towards a good funeral, working towards a good reputation. Many people are doing that. Will that give you satisfaction? My friend, if you have tried that road, right now as I speak to you, you would confirm with me that it does not satisfy. It may satisfy for a moment, but all of it is chasing after a wind. That is the conclusion that Solomon came to. If a man's life is such that he leaves behind him a good name and reputation, then the day of his death, is simply the victorious accounting of his life, and thus better than the day of his birth, which as the beginning of life is a time of uncertainty. For the Christian, the day of death is certainly the time of betterment. Instead of simply saying we need to just do everything and make sure that everything will be done well on the day of our death and our burial, after that everything is forgotten. The child of God has a different view. Death is certainly a time of betterment. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. The living will take it to heart. Now, all of this life of morality and do goodism is done in a dignified manner. It is never done in an unrespectable way, nor always it is given a dignified appearance. People go to a club meeting and listen to a man come and talk about pollution. They don't do anything about it, but they sit and talk about it in the very dignified way. The next week, someone talks to them on civic problems. They sit and listen to that, and again, nothing will be done. Then, they all go to the funeral of one of the men in their fraternal Lodge, so to say, and hear nice things about him. Nobody is particularly moved. No one will miss him too much. This is just how life is. In my own home city, I do not know about yours. The doing good business is simply a meaningless ritual that people engage themselves in. And here, the writer of wisdom, the preacher of wisdom says there is meaningless in it. And by the way, sorrow tends to produce a saddening reflection while laughter may indicate a frivolous frame of mind. In a serious mood, one is more ready to think reflectively about life. From this comes the motivation for a purification of the heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 3. You see, today people do anything to avoid sorrow. We have it arranged now so that you can laugh all the way to the symmetry, by the way. Reality is so covered over with flowers and soft music and a preacher saying a lot of easy things, nice things, that everyone goes home saying, my, that was a nice funeral. There is nothing nice about a funeral. People must actually think with their minds clearly about the message that the funeral brings them. You see, when they say, uh, that was a nice funeral. You are simply forgetting the grim reality of death as soon as possible. That's how we try to cover it. But here, the preacher says, sorrow is better than laughter. For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. By facing the grim reality of death and the consequence of it, actually, your heart may be turned to Think about your own life and you are made better. By the way, God always takes us to a workshop through death. Many of us don't want to attend God's workshops to think about what our lives would be. And now when a beloved has died, he brings us to that workshop whether we like it or not. And we have to face the reality of death. And his message on the workshop is like, as Moses I prayed, Lord, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, our days are few, and death will always remind us. Instead of trying to just create laughter, let us also make the moment easy, yet without denying the truth of the reality of death and the life after. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of myth ecclesiastes 7 verse 4. <laughs> they don't get more than 50 yards from this symmetry until someone begins to tell a joke you see who is that that is the foolish person they all try to give people a good laughter this is living in the presence of death Somehow it doesn't occur okay to people like this, as they see their friends slipping out of this life, that they too are moving along to death. Doesn't it occur okay to them that it might be well for them to check to see where they are going? Are they saved? Are they lost? Are they rightly related to God? They don't consider that important. They give to the community chest and they are active in the Red Cross and other departments. They are involved citizens in the community. They wouldn't dare confess Christ and take a public stand for him. I am not saying people should not be involved in the community. I am not saying people should have in their hearts the desire to see their communities developed. That is important. But more so important is the relationship with Christ. Instead of laughing off death, know that you are also going to go and you will have to face the Savior. And the Bible tells us, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give account of what we have done in the body, whether it is good or it is bad. This is why. This is why. The preacher says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. In other words, you learn from the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of myth, the house of rejoicing. One other person drove it even more strongly to me the other time when he said, when I'm wanting to plan my life, I go to the cemetery and make my plans while I am at the cemetery, lest I forget that one day I will go to the cemetery. And my friend, I think that is wisdom. You must remember, if you are a wise person, your heart should be even in the house of mourning. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 5 to verse 6, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools For like the crackling of thorns under a port So is the laughter of the fool This also is vanity Now Solomon's point here is this Why not try both groups Listen to the rebuke of a wise person Then go down and listen to the rock band And enjoy that also Now One may be better than the other, but it is easier to go with both groups. This is the picture through the remainder of the chapter. You see, that's the kind of conclusion that he is going to. Instead of being someone who is resolute, who knows, who is not confused about what is right and what is wrong, he reaches a conclusion where he says, try both camps. And so, All the way to the end of the chapter. That is what he is talking about. You can see the desperate man. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Yeah, that is so true, my friend. Don't get angry at anything. Be a nice fellow. Stay friends with everyone, he says. Because that will help business. Again, he is speaking from a man under the sun. Don't be angry. Just be be friendly. And you will be able to make good business. Go the easy way. Walk softly. Don't be an extremist. Be willing to compromise. Go with one crowd to be popular with them. And the next night, go with a different crowd to be popular with them. You see, my friend. The moralist, the do-gooder in this chapter is the man who lives like hell on Saturday night and then goes to church and passes for a Christian on Sunday. They are pretending in all these camps. That's what the moralist does. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 11 Wisdom is good with an inheritance and profitable to those who see the sun. Now, in the book of Proverbs, we see that wisdom is another name for Christ. Christ has been made unto us wisdom. Oh, how this do-gooder needs to have Christ. He needs to have Christ. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it Ecclesiastes 7 verse 12 we see here money is a defense this man now wants money and he wants plenty of it but he doesn't want Christ wisdom gives lives to those who have it now you can't buy life with money medical science may be able to extend your life for a few years. But it doesn't give eternal life here and yonder in eternity. Only wisdom, which is Christ, can do that. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 21 Also do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Don't be disillusioned by reports that somebody who knows you well says you are a crook. If you take the middle of the road, in the long run, the community will applaud you. You see, that's the moralist, my friend. Seeking satisfaction in life by just trying to be doing good is like a vegetable, not a man. Yet this is the lifestyle of many people today. They will go to the shameful show on Saturday night and to church on Sunday morning? What hypocrisy! We have seen our young people rebelling against this type of living. But why didn't these youth find Christ in their homes in which their parents were church members? Well, they saw that there was something radically missing in their homes and in their churches. They have seen the hypocrisy, the emptiness of the life of a moralist, the person who simply does good. And so, doing good, the philosophy of simply doing good, does harm to yourself and even to your children, affecting the generation that will come after you. My friend, I believe it is easy to reach even a godless atheist than a hypocritical church goal. The godless atheist may respond when he hears the gospel for the first time. But the hypocritical churchgoer, the moralist, has heard the gospel again and again and has become hardened to it. That is the real tragedy. Obey God today before your heart is hardened. Stop this moralist business. Stop this doing good business. And have a relationship with God. Only then can you have a satisfying relationship with Him. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you info at twrafrica.org